Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the church and spiritual warfare. During this series, Kevin Connor's best-selling book, The Church in the New Testament, is available at 50% off as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org. Select monthly special. I'd like you to take your Bibles in your hand and let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us. How many really appreciate the word? That was a week, amen. How many really appreciate the word? Amen. I was just looking at the, um, uh, the Bible League information there in Russia. You know, uh, commun- communism has com- become communism. Uh, but everything's just flooding in. They're so hungry to f- uh, that vacuum there. And so not only is the good getting in, but the false cults are just flooding the place there. I just see in the article there. Uh, 15,000 or more Hare Krishnas and thousands of Mormons, more man, less God, and uh, so many of these things happening. And so when there's an emptiness there, and when people are hungry, they'll just swallow anything. And there's been a religious vacuum there, and so everything just floods into the place, the good and the bad. And uh, when the two birds came from the ark, which one went first? No, the raven. The raven always preceded the dove, and the false generally precedes the true. So uh, here we're so blessed with so many translations, and Russia just needs millions of Bibles. So uh, anything we can do on those things. Father, we just hold in your hands, your, in our hands, your sacred word, and we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for our confession of faith that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly adjusted and perfected unto all good works. Pray, Lord, that you'll bless your word to our hearts this morning. Pray, Lord, there'll be no communication gap between myself and between the congregation, but your Holy Spirit will bridge the communication gap by the ministry of your word. Bless your word to our hearts, Father. We ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. Amen. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to two, uh, three passages of Scripture this morning. And uh, for the last two Sundays being given, being given over to Presbytery, I want to sort of pick up the series that I've been doing with you on the church and spiritual warfare. And so we'll do another section of it today. And the next Sunday we have a visiting ministry. And then the following Sunday we'll sort of pick it up again. So. I trust that uh, you don't forget the word that we share from time to time. Amen? All right, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. And I'd like to read uh, two or three portions of Scripture here before we move into our, our, the word we're going to be sharing this morning. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. John says he loved not the world, everybody say world. world, neither the things that are in the, everybody say world. world. If any man love thee, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the, and the passeth away, the world passeth away. In fact, they tell me that the uh, tense of the uh, Greek there is, the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God 
abideth forever. How many want to abide forever? Amen. I do. Well, only way we're going to abide forever is doing the will of God. The world and the whole world system is passing away. And the lust thereof, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world, the whole world system. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Let's turn to James chapter 4, just a couple of epistles before John. James chapter 4 and verse 4. James 4 verse 4. And very uh, strong language by James as well as John here. James 4 verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Very strong language. Let's read it again. And I've, uh, I think I've mentioned this on odd occasions that we are engaged to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Christians who are engaged to be married to Jesus Christ, to be in the bride of Christ, when they become friends with the world, they are spiritually having an affair, committing adultery. Let's put it in the proper Bible term, not having an affair. Committing spiritual adultery with the world because they're engaged to be married to Jesus Christ, to be in his bride. And so very, very strong language here, and that's why sometimes I've said, People who are involved in loving the world, having an affair with the world, committing spiritual adultery, f flirting with the world, are in danger of not being in the bride of Christ. So he says, ye adulterers, and he's writing to spirit-filled believers here, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now let's turn over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And I'd like to read verses 30 through to 40, Acts chapter 7 and verses 30 through to 40. And the context has to do with Moses, so Acts 7 verse 30 to 40. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him, that is to Moses, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of, of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. We were singing about that this morning. How many know there's just a real anointing as soon as we sing those chorus about standing on holy ground and angels all around? I, I believe that this morning. If, if our eyes were open, we could see the angelic host that uh, just looks on when we worship because angels enjoy us worshipping the Lord. Did you know that? But the angels have to shut their mouths because they can't sing these songs. They can't sing about being redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb. They just have to, I was going to say, fold their wings, but there's no scriptures say so they have wings, but uh, they put their hand upon their mouth. Um, so, wow, we can't sing that. And they enjoy our singing. Do you believe that this morning? Because we come under Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels. All right, so uh, uh, standing on holy ground. Verse 34, I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler 
and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after they had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Everybody say, church in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. Everybody say that last expression. In their hearts turned back again into Egypt. Let's say it again. In their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us, for as for this Moses which brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. Now, in the last number of weeks, except with our visiting ministries, the last two weeks, of course, and the next Sunday, we've been sharing a series together entitled The Church and Spiritual Warfare. And uh, if you've not been able to be here, we'd like to encourage you to get hold of the tapes, either purchase the tapes or else uh, uh, borrow a loan of them. And in our series so far, we've been talking about being worshippers and warriors. That first of all, it's first worship, then warfare. And then we looked at the church as being the army of the Lord God's army. In our last couple of sessions together, we looked at the nation of Israel, uh, God's uh, church, the church in the wilderness, and how when God sent Moses and Aaron down to Egypt, he said, bring forth my armies, and that uh, though they were a motley-looking crew, having been a slave nation for so many years, in bondage to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians and so forth, uh, God saw the end of the product, uh, and I'm, that's always an encouraging word uh, to my own heart when I look in the mirror. That God doesn't see me as I am, he sees the end product, he sees the finished product. How many are glad for that? Uh, well, at least half of us, how many are glad for that? Because many times we look at ourselves in the mirror and, and we could throw our hands up in the air and feel discouraged at times, say, oh Lord, I feel so helpless and hopeless. And the Lord says, don't worry, I see the finished product. He sees the end product and uh, that's always encouraging to all of us. Amen. Amen. In our last session, we looked at the nation of Israel as God's church and God, uh, God's armies. And we saw that there were three enemies that they had to overcome or three phases of the spiritual warfare that they had to look at. And that was, first of all, Egypt. I'll put the diagram on the overhead in a moment. And then after conquering Egypt and winning the battle there and the spiritual warfare there, the next phase of the war was winning in the wilderness and then, of course, after they had won the battle in the wilderness, uh, the next stage of the warfare, the third and final stage was Canaan, where they would win the final battle there. Now, as we've been looking in our last couple of sessions, we saw how God prepared Israel for war. First of all, we looked at their condition. They were a slave nation in bondage to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. Then we looked at their redemption on the basis of covenant and uh, the covenant that God had made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the fathers. And then we looked at their emancipation where they were delivered by, as we've been singing about the blood of the Passover lamb. 
And then just uh, stirring up our, our uh, minds by way of remembrance here, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they came up marshaled or harnessed for war, uh, literally uh, as an army, just uh, armed, ready for battle. And then uh, the thing we looked at particularly on that section was in Exodus chapter 13 that when God brought Israel out, uh, in fact I'll read it from the NIV which spells it out very clearly here. The NIV puts it uh, this way reminding ourselves here. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country though that was shorter. For God said, if they see, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. And I believe there's a real principle there that they had been a slave nation for many, many years. Now God has brought them out. He's redeemed them by the power of the blood of the Passover lamb. But they are not ready for warfare yet. And so God, uh, instead of taking them the short way through the land of the Philistine, uh, Philistines here, uh, God uh, led them the long way round because they were not ready for warfare. And I believe there's a real principle there that uh, with all of us individually, uh, you know, uh, many of us can look back to when we were younger in the Lord, new converts, and this is why we have to be very patient with each other. New converts, people that come out of the whole world system and come to Waverly Christian Fellowship, and we may not just feel they uh, sh uh, shape up like we want to and we want to ship up and shape out, so forth. Sometimes we have to be very, very patient with people because God's been very, very patient with us. How many are glad for the patience of God? And so uh, uh, individually, corporately, we're not ready wa for warfare and we think, oh, I wish God had just taken me the shortcut and, you know, we're living in an instant society, instant tea, instant coffee. Uh, we want instant perfection in the church. It'd be great to have it, you know, it'd be better than the guy, the evangelist shot all his converts once he sure, uh, was sure they were saved. Never had a backslide. If we could just get everybody saved, uh, instant perfection, you'd have no counselling sessions, nothing to worry about, shoot them straight off to heaven in a secret rapture. It'd be marvellous. <laughs> but God hasn't designed it that way, has he? So God often takes us the long way round, and sometimes even in church, think, oh, we're a long time getting there. Well, God takes the church and God takes us corporately and individually. Sometimes the long way around, though, he could take us shorter, but he says, oh, they're not ready for warfare yet. And so God has to prepare us for battle. Now, let's put the diagram on that uh, we finish on in our last of our uh, section here, and we want to pick up from here. Now, when God brought Israel out, remember the things we've been saying, all these things happen unto them for types and examples and written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age are come. And so uh, Israel is God's church in the wilderness. So Israel is God's church in the wilderness. becomes a type of the New Testament church. And then they were also the armies of the Lord. Though they didn't look like armies, God saw them as his armies. And so you and I are the army of God. So many pictures the Lord gives of the church, but you and I are the army of the Lord. Now, as God was going to deal with Israel in warfare here and prepare them for war, there were three phases of the war that they had to face. And we're going to deal with phase one uh, this morning and then the uh, following Sunday or the next Sunday when I pick it up again. The first phase of the war was the phase of coming out of Egypt. And that's really the title of my message this morning, Overcoming Egypt's World. 
And the text I want to use as my base is what we read in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 7. In their hearts, they turned back again into Egypt. Problem number one. So overcoming the Egypt uh, uh, was the first phase of the war. Then the next phase God was going to uh, want them to overcome was the wilderness, the warfare, the conflict, the battle that was going to take place in the wilderness. And then, of course, all this was preparatory uh, for the warfare and the conflict that was take, uh, to take place in Canaan. Now, as we read from the NIV, uh, when Pharaoh did let the people go, God uh, did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds. So when God brought them out of Egypt, he brought them into the wilderness. He didn't bring them directly to Canaan because uh, if they had a face giants right there, they would have said, let's get back to Egypt real quick. They were not ready. And uh, spiritually speaking, though we sing a lot about warfare and fighting principalities and powers, Honestly, saints, as I've meditated upon these things, I think if any of us really saw the devil himself, and personally I think the devil's uh, too busy looking after New York, Rome, and a few other uh, capital seats that he has, the seat of Satan, to bother about most of us, but I think if we really saw the devil, or even if God gave us insight into the realm of principalities and powers and wicked spirits, if we saw just the demonic host, I think most of us would be scared to death, including myself. Uh, we, it's great to sing about it and clap our hands and dance and everything like that and I enjoy every bit of it but I'm, to, I'm just being real if we saw the reality I think most of us would be scared to death and uh, personally I don't like too many jokes about the devil in fact I don't like any jokes about the devil and uh, the devil is a sly old fox we put him in a box and all that I don't believe that you know even Michael the archangel when he faced the devil it says Michael the archangel, and Michael is the archangel of the resurrection, and the devil has the power of death. When Michael the archangel faced the devil, it says even Michael the archangel dare not bring against Satan, a, the devil, an a, 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 a accusation. But he said, the Lord rebuked thee. And if Michael the archangel, who's one of the mighty archangels here, dare not rebuke Satan himself, you know, sometimes I think some ministers, and you'll just pardon me thinking aloud here, and some Christians, you know, are pretty presumptuous when they say, well, we rebuke the devil and we'll get him under our feet and devil's a sly old fox, we put him in a, in a box. And uh, I think, you know, it's great theory. But I'm being very realistic. How many can say amen with me? So I'm, I'm, I, I have great respect for the devil because he's a mighty, mighty being. I'm glad God's almighty. But uh, I don't play jokes around, you know, with the devil. We're dealing with an enemy who hates our guts, and hates the church, hates Christ, and hates every one of us. And hates to think that he's lost us out of his kingdom. So we're dealing with pretty heavy things here. All right, so they weren't ready to face Canaan warfare because they had to conquer first the wilderness warfare. And they had to conquer the wilderness warfare, uh, and before they could conquer that, they had to conquer Egypt. So as we've got on our overhead here, spiritually speaking, Egypt represents the world, and it represents the enemy without, the, the enemy that's external. And then the wilderness typifies the flesh, the enemy within. And there's the internal warfare that all of us go, go through, including myself. And then there's the Canaan land, which represents the devil and principalities and powers and the satanic kingdom, the enemy above, 
infernal. So I've got a little bit of alliteration there. External, internal, infernal. So we have an external enemy. The world is our enemy. Enemy. Who, whoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's so clear. How many knows that the world system does not love Jesus Christ? They don't love the church. How many know that? And they hate Christians. Just the fact that you're a Christian. So how can Christians be friends of the world? Okay. And then the flesh. How many know that we have a battle within? Every one of us, including myself. How many know there's an enemy within? The old flesh. And we'll talk about that one uh, Sunday. And then, of course, the enemy above, the devil himself. So we have the external enemy, the internal enemy, and the infernal enemy. And I was going to put on the end, when this is all over, we'll have eternal life. So I'll be glad for the eternal, won't you? Amen. All right, so as I said here for Israel, there were three phases of the war. Overcoming in Egypt and overcoming in the Egypt world, then overcoming the wilderness and then overcoming Canaan. God's ultimate intention, let me read off my note here, God's intention, God's ultimate purpose was to take them out of Egypt, not into the wilderness, but through the wilderness and into Canaan. This was God's vision for Israel, not Egypt, not the wilderness, but Canaan land. And I believe the same is true for us today. The application is pretty evident spiritually. God wants to redeem us and has redeemed us out of the Egypt world, have to overcome that. And uh, he wants to bring us through the wilderness where we overcome the flesh and the internal enemy and the battle of the flesh and sins of the flesh and so forth and then bring us into real spiritual warfare where we overcome the enemy above where our warfare is uh, in heavenly places against principalities, powers and wicked spirits. In one sense we might say we're fighting a war on three fronts. The world, the flesh and the devil. Now, what we want to look at this morning is this. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, and we'll pick up a few things about that in a moment, brought them into the wilderness, one of the major reasons they never conquered in the wilderness is because they never overcome the Egypt world. In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. In their hearts. Now, I want to put on the overhead seven scriptures... And I want you to just see the problem. In their hearts, they turn back to Egypt. And I believe it's going to answer a lot of Christians why a lot of young people and older people never really become victorious Christians because though they've been redeemed out of Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb, all we've been singing this morning, they have come into the wilderness and in their hearts there's that constant pull. And I see this with young people. And next Sunday I'm going to be, oh no, it's the, Sunday, the following Sunday when I pick this up. I want to deal with the whole the ten points where the, the world, and it really bothers me as I, as I minister sometimes in other churches, how the world is squeezing the church into its mold. And when I talk to young people and look at some things, say, oh, okay, you, you, you've experienced all this. And here you are in the wilderness and battling away and having fights and being a yo-yo Christian and so forth. But there's that pull of the world. And I want to define that more specifically on our following session. But there's the pull of the world and the world system. You wonder why they come into victory. So I want you to look at seven scriptures with me and what happened in Israel in the wilderness. All these things happened unto them for types 
and examples and are written for our, our admonition. So we'll come back to this part in a moment. In the wilderness. Now, seven experiences, seven testings that God gave Israel in the wilderness and every one of them had this problem about the pool of Egypt. This pullback, oh yeah, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and I've been water baptised in the Red Sea and I've got the cloud of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but there's this pull of Egypt, the, the pull of the world. We'll define that later on. Let's go to these seven times here. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. Seven tests and uh, they were so consistent in their failure that God gave them A+. <laughs> Every exam they had, God gave them A+. Now, this is not for you this morning. If you don't like what I'm going to say, send it off to somebody else. Is that all right? Shoot it off to some other church. Everybody said, oh, me. <laughs> test number one. Test number one was the Red Sea test. If you're taking down notes, like you put down these scriptures, and uh, there's only one thing I want to get across this morning because it's preparatory uh, to the next session. Okay, so test number one, the Red Sea test. Listen to it. Exodus 14 and verses 10 to 12. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And now listen to it. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? And listen to what's in the heart now, because out of the abundance of the heart uh, the mouth speaketh. Is not this the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Oh, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. We'd just rather stay in the world, live for the devil, and live a free life, and not have to worry about conquering sin and all that. Just let us alone. It's been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. Oh, it's so a problem number one, the Red Sea test and the whole issue is, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Look, when we were in Egypt, we told you, leave us alone. I know we're in slavery and bondage to sin and Pharaoh, the devil and the Egyptians, principalities and powers and wicked spirits. We're in bondage to the thing, but just leave us alone and uh, rather than go out and die in the wilderness, let's just, let's just stay in Egypt. So, failure number one, A+. Plus. Why bring us out of Egypt? Test number two, Exodus 16, verses 1 to 3. And this is what I call the manna test, where God wanted to give the manna McDonald's hamburgers. The manna test, so Exodus 16 and verses 1 to 3. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came under the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. So a few weeks later after they've been redeemed by the Passover lamb and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we die by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full for you brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So here it is again. Oh, I wish we died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. Wish we were back in Egypt. Oh, I know we've had the blood of the Passover lamb and all these things, but I just wish we were back in Egypt where we had the flesh, stinking flesh, flesh pots, and where we ate bread to the full. And so out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. In their hearts, they're turning back to Egypt. Would God we died in the land of Egypt? 
So, exam number two, failure, A++. Plus plus. Give you two pluses for that. All right, test number three, Exodus chapter 17 and verses 1 to 3. Are you enjoying this this morning? How many are you feeling encouraged? This is the church in the wilderness, and this is God's army. Great encouragement. I'm glad I wasn't Moses. And I'm glad this wasn't Waverly Christian Fellowship. I've got a couple of amens there. I'll hang on there. Exodus 17, verse 1 to 3. The third test. This is the water test. So they've had the Red Sea test. Failure. Why bring us out of Egypt? Manna test. Would God we died in Egypt? Failure. Third test, the water test. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Uh-uh, here it is. Failure number three. Wherefore is, this that thou, wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto these people? They be almost ready to stone me. So here it is again, failure number three, A++++. You're doing great here. So, the water test. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to die? You're out here to kill us? Pastor Moses? <laughs> great church. Uh, test number four. Now remember, here they are in the wilderness. How are they going to conquer in the wilderness? When Egypt... And there's still the pull of Egypt, the pull of the world. Pulling in their heart. Test number four, Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through to 8. And this is the Sinai test, Mount Sinai. <coughs> so Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come out of the, uh, down out of the mountain, remember Moses is up in Mount Sinai at the moment. He's getting the revelation of the Lord, of the tabernacle of the Lord, the tabernacle of Moses, we refer to it. And the whole order of worship and the order of approach. And so he's been up on the mount 40 days, 40 nights. Uh, and they feel he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. So they said, uh, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters. Bring them unto me, and all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And so he received them, fashioned it with a graving tool, made a molten calf, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar, and said, There's going to be a feast of the Lord. And so God said to Moses in verse 7, The Lord said to Moses, Go get thee down, for your people which you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves and have qu turned quickly out of the way, made a molten calf, sacrifice, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And as you go through the rest of the chapter, the people had a real rock festival, danced themselves naked, beaten of the drums, and just the whole, just a real rock scene here. Hmm.
marvelous. But uh, Egypt. So exam number four, failure, A, plus, 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 plus. How many think they're doing great? This church in the world is God's armies, the armies of the Lord. Marvelous church is God's army. Hmm. God had more faith in them than I have. But we haven't finished yet. So Sinai test. Let's go to test number five. And you see the tragedy, just before we go to test number five, but Numbers 11, you can turn to it. The tragedy is this, that, you know, all the plagues of Egypt, uh, the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, was a plague of judgment against all their gods. They worshipped the river Nile, so God turned it to blood. They worshipped fro uh, frogs, so God gave them frog's legs. Uh, they worshipped lice, and God made them lousy. Uh, Every, every, every plague that was brought was against one of the gods of Egypt. And they'd seen the mighty hand of the true God, the living God, and yet they say, they make this golden calf scene and said, these be thy gods. And they had this rock music and this rock uh, festival here, danced themselves naked, a whole sensual, sexual orgy here. The church in the wilderness, people of God, oh, they've had the blood of the Passover lamb, been baptized in the water and the cloud and the sea. Yeah, wonderful and yet uh, end up worshipping golden calves and say, well, these are the gods that brought you up out of Egypt. In their hearts, they turn back to Egypt as some pull of the Egypt world. No wonder they couldn't conquer Cain. No wonder they couldn't conquer the wilderness because the pull of the world is there. So the application, I think, is very evident. No wonder the church is not winning in principalities and powers because we haven't conquered the flesh. Why we haven't conquered the flesh? Because there's the pull of the world constantly on us. And I'm going to give you ten things next uh, session on this area, the practical fill-in. But I want to get the typical picture across here. In their hearts, they're turning back to Egypt. All right, test number five. Numbers chapter 11 and verses 4 to 6. Numbers chapter 11. How many are getting the message here this morning? Numbers chapter 11 and verses 4 to 6. So we've had the golden, t the Sinai test here. Now we come to the uh, the uh, mixed multitude test. Very, very significant. And 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 God allows every church to have a mixed multitude because the mixed multitude tests the people out. They test the young people out, and young people generally side with the mixed multitude that fall a-lusting, or they side with those that want to go on to the promised land. And God allows in every church, every, every, every church, every denomination, a mixed multitude. Because it tests the people out. And I see young people, I see older people who they're attracted to. Listen to the language here. I want the Holy Spirit to apply it to you. So verse 4, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again. So right through you'll find this mixed multitude. And who were the mixed multitude? Oh, they'd come out of Egypt. Yeah, they'd dove in somewhere to get the blood of the parcel and went through water baptism, gone through the experiences of it. But there was a mixed multitude that was, that's Paul. And so they, you know, Israel was tested. So the mixed multitude that was amongst them fell a-lusting. The children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us flesh to eat? There's just that pull of the flesh. We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, 
the onions, the garlic, everything that gives you 40 foot of indigestion, wind in the valley, uh, the burps, bad breath, you slay people with the breath of your mouth and when you talk and they say, yeah, how are you? Uh, yeah, oh, what did you have for breakfast? Oh, that wasn't breakfast, that was last week. Oh, uh, yeah, great. Uh, fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlics, tremendous. How many are you feeling anointed with all this food here? Uh, the, the, you know, the sad part here, all they remembered was the fish and all these smelly things. Uh, they didn't remember the uh, making bricks without straw. They didn't remember the taskmasters and the whip and the lashes on their backs. They didn't remember the babies being thrown in the river. They didn't remember that. Uh, the only thing they ever remember was flesh, pots, bread, fish, garlic, cucumbers, onions, uh, durian. Uh, in fact, when I was in Malaysia this last couple of weeks when we were there, uh, someone told me that the best description of durian was it tasted like heaven but smelt like hell. No, I didn't say that. Someone passed that on to me, and so, didn't they, Reen? Uh, you know. All right, apart from that. So, what do they remember? They don't remember the bondage and the slavery. And this is amazing, you know, this is pull of the world system. Pull of the world system. Because it's one thing for God to get us out of Egypt. It's another thing for God to get Egypt out of us. In their hearts they turn back. All right, test number, where are we up to? Test number six. Numbers chapter 14, let's turn to test number six. And now we have the promised land test. Now what has happened here is we'll see, we'll read the scripture first. Test number six. So that, the number five was the mixed multitude test. As I said, every church has a mixed multitude. They've experienced these things. But oh, have you been here? You want to try this out? Yeah. We're talking more specifically. So Numbers chapter, in fact, for your notes, you should have Numbers 13 and 14, the contextual setting there. But Numbers 14, and probably this is the worst one now that's happening because in their hearts, they're turning back to Egypt. Always attack on Moses and Aaron, attack on leadership because Moses had a vision of bringing them into Canaan, vision of the promised land. That was direction. And God's will was never to bring them into the wilderness, uh, to stay there, but through the wilderness. And the tragedy was, instead of their wilderness journey being two years, they turned it into 40 years. And see, all of us, spiritually, individually, corporately, uh, we can prolong our stay in the wilderness. It's never God's will, to, uh, will uh, perfect will to be in the wilderness, but to go through it. But here they're in the wilderness, and what's the problem? How can they conquer Canaan when they're being pulled back to Egypt in their hearts, turning back to Egypt? So listen to this worst one here. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured. Here, here we are again. Well, I've mentioned this before, but the word praise is never mentioned once in the book of Numbers. The key word in the book of Numbers is murmur. They belonged to the church of the first murmurs. They lived on Murmuring Street. They lived on Grumble Street. How many would like to have pastored that church? No way, Jose. I'd rather look after Wavy Christian Fellowship. And all the... Let's go back to the Bible. 
And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses, against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, uh-uh, here it is, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we died in the wilderness? And the Lord said, okay, you pronounce your own funeral benediction, you can die in the wilderness, but you're not going back to Egypt. In fact, it's a very significant thing. The River Jordan miraculously opened several times uh, because they were in the Promised Land. It was God's will to go in and out of Jordan, but the Red Sea only opened once. God never, ever opened the Red Sea. And when God opened the Red Sea, he opened it out of Egypt, not into Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness, through the wilderness, into Canaan. That was his will. But you see, the first phase of the war... They're losing. They're losing because God's putting them to the test. And so many Christians not conquering principalities and powers because they don't conquer in the wilderness and they don't conquer in the wilderness because there's this pull of Egypt worlds. I said I'm going to define that very specifically in a subsequent session. So would God we died on the land of Egypt? And God says, you're not going back to Egypt. I opened the Red Sea once and the Red Sea opened out of Egypt, not back into it. Or would God, we die in the wilderness and God said, all right, you're going to have a long funeral service. It's going to be 40 years long. It was the longest funeral service in the world. 40 years. And wherefore has the Lord brought us up out of this land? So now it's an attack on the Lord to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Oh, here it is. This is the worst statement I've had so far. Oh, remember Egypt, remember the flesh in Egypt, remember the pots in Egypt, remember this in Egypt, had that, this back in Egypt and so forth. But now, let's return to Egypt. And they said one to another, let's make us a captain and let us return to Egypt. Moses fell on their faces before, before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. So, exam number six. Exam number six. And you see, this is the Sinai, uh, not the Sinai, this is Kadesh Barnea test. This is what's happened here. They've come now from Egypt and they've come through the wilderness and God has brought them to Canaan and say, hey, okay, this is, this is my will, this is my ultimate intention to come into Canaan. I only brought you out of Egypt, not into the wilderness, but through the wilderness. And here I want you to come into this, but failure is a no. We're not going in. Too many giants there. Can't handle that type of warfare. Let's go back to Egypt. And so failure number six. Let's go to number seven. Failure number seven. Egypt. In their hearts. In their hearts they're turning back to Egypt. Number seven. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. And verses one through to six. Numbers 20 verses one through to six. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh. And Kadesh, by the way, means holiness, reminding us there, holiness. That's where they failed, holiness. And uh, because their heart's in Egypt. They're out of Egypt, but Egypt's not out of them. God brought Israel out of Babylon, but they never got Babylon out of them. The people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now we have the seventh test, water test again. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, here it is again, would God we died when our brethren died before the Lord, and why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, so that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us come up out of Egypt 
to bring us unto this evil place. It's no place of cedar or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Oh, how short-lived their memory was. They got miraculous water back here, and couldn't God give it again? Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. The water test. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? It's an evil place. And all that you promise is about a land flowing with milk and honey and seed and figs and vines and pomegranates. Don't talk to me about it. Let's go back to Egypt. So in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Let's go back to Acts chapter 7 now in the light of that. Seven tests. And they failed every one of them. No wonder they couldn't conquer the flesh because the Egypt world was pulling on them. No wonder Christians can't conquer the sins of the flesh because the sins of the world are pulling on them. Acts chapter 7, listen to again, verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey. Always an attack on leadership, he and Moses and Aaron that had vision of the promised land, direction, but just taking God's time the long way round. But thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. I want you to notice the word heart because what's the problem here, saints? The problem is the heart. In their hearts. Now they couldn't go back to Egypt, as I said. God miraculously opened the Red Sea out of Egypt into the wilderness, but he never miraculously opened the Red Sea out of the wilderness back into Egypt because God said, finish with Egypt and all that Egypt signifies, the Egypt world system. But in their hearts, in their hearts. Why don't you put down Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. Matthew 12 verse 34. You know what Jesus said there? He said, out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speak. Now, once you connect, connect that mouth and heart, heart and mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And I pick this up with young people, older people, I pick it up and say, oh, I can tell what's in your heart because out of the abundance of the heart, oh, yeah, did you see this? Were you there? What about this? Ah, oh, yeah, I've been through this. I've been brought up in church. I know it backwards. I know it all. Yeah, but what's coming out of the heart? We'll talk about that more specifically. But see, out of the abundance of the heart, what's in the heart? Whatever your heart is full of, out of the abundance of the heart, whatever's in the heart, going to come out of your mouth. You know what's in my heart? Sure do. He knows what's in my heart now. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, what comes out your mouth? What are you talking about all the time? You know, after the meeting's over, yeah. Okay, out of the abundance. You see, so the problem here is it was the heart condition. And so because Egypt was in their heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth was speaking. So seven times, I went through this, seven times, let's go back to Egypt. I remember Egypt. What about Egypt? Let's go back to Egypt. I remember the food we had in Egypt. Oh, back there. I know I've been redeemed by the blood, but Egypt, Egypt's got the pull on me. And so I want you to turn to probably the most tragic verse in the New Testament about what I'm on this morning. Jude verse 5. Jude verse 5. Egypt was in their heart and so Egypt came out of their mouth. See, what's in your heart will come out your mouth. 
And I can tell where young people are, older people are, by what comes out the mouth. Because I can tell the heart. You see, the visible mouth reveals the invisible heart. And the sad part was they never conquered this phase of war. Listen to Jude 5. And Jude is writing again to Pentecostal spirit-filled Christians. I will therefore put you in remembrance. And I'm doing that this morning, saints, just reminding you, though you once knew this and though you know these things and you've been well taught here. I will therefore put you in remembrance. I'll stir up your minds. Stir up your minds by way of remembrance. Though you once knew this and though you know these things, how that the Lord, having saved, here it is here, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. What a tragic verse. Saved but destroyed. I want to remind you of these things, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, and how did he save them? Listen to what we've got it. They'd experienced the blood of the Passover lamb. They'd been through the Red Sea, water baptism. All these things happen under them for types and example. And, and Paul is the one that takes these things up in the Corinthian epistle to the charismatic Pentecostal Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 5, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us, the blood. 1 Corinthians 10, they were baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea, water baptism, Red Sea, cloud of the Holy Spirit to lead them to Canaan, lead them through the wilderness. See, the wilderness, as said, was never God's perfect will. Oh, you say, but God blessed them. Yes, their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. They had manna burgers, they had water from the rock. Miracle after miracle, but God blessed them to death. Physically. Didn't prove a thing. God was obligated to bless them because they were his people. But it was never his will. The wilderness was never God's perfect will. It was secondary level. Permissive will of God. So they'd experienced the blood of the Passover, so water baptism, cloud of the Holy Spirit, sang the song of Moses, the first song recorded in the Bible, from Adam to Moses, no song recorded. Song of the Lord, and then dancing and rejoicing, victory, all these things. I want to remind you that though you know these things, how this, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. So saved, but destroyed. All these things happen to them for types and examples. Written for my admonition, written for our admonition. So how could they conquer Canaan? Because they never conquered this. And why they didn't conquer the wilderness is because there's the pull of Egypt. How many, how many have got the message this morning? In their hearts. And you see, the practical application of this is numerous Christians, let me read off my notes as we wrap up here. Numerous Christians redeemed by Christ out of the world system and who experience all this above, the blood, the water, the spirit, song, dance, rejoicing, Waverly Christian Fellowship meetings. They do not win the battle over the flesh, let alone the devil. Why? Because it's a heart condition in their hearts. They turn back to the Egypt world and that's what comes out of the mouth. Why don't you go back to the scriptures we started off with as we bring our message to a close. James chapter 4.4 And I trust these scriptures are more meaningful to us now in the light of what we've been saying. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? 
Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And as I said, I see so many churches that the world is creeping into Pentecostal churches, so desperate to keep their young people, so desperate to get converts and that, compromising, lowering the standard, and the church and the world are walking together, and you can hardly tell the difference. By God's grace, saints, as long as I'm in Waverly Christian Fellowship, I want to keep a standard, and our eldership want to keep a standard. Can we say amen? We're not going to compromise to get young people or anybody into this place. God will draw them in by the power of His Spirit. We'll do our part. But this is our standard for Waverly Christian Fellowship. Can you say amen this morning? I know we're noted as Waverly is a legalistic church and narrow-minded. They've got that kind of there who's pretty square. I say, yeah, I'm going to a four-square city. I'm going to be four-square forever. Hallelujah. How many are with me? Amen. Everybody with me or half of you? Or well, we've got a mixed multitude, says Ralph Kevin. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy, enemy of God. First John, reminding you where we started off with, we've done our complete cycle now. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We're not talking about the natural, material, geographical world. We're talking about the world system. I'm going to spell that out very clearly in our next session. So love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Wow, heavy duty stuff this. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world, the world system is passing away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, I'll quote it from Philip's translation. This is where we need to pick up. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Saints, I want to ask you the question. You've come out of Egypt, but is Egypt still in you? Young people, I ask you the question. You come out, you say, yes, I've been washed in the blood, I've been water baptized, I've got the baptism spirit, and I sing, clap, and enjoy Waverly meetings. And I know I'm here, but I'm having battle with the flesh. I ask you the question, you've come out of Egypt, but is there a pull of Egypt in your heart? What is your heart condition? Because in their hearts, they turn back to Egypt. I'd like uh, Peter, musicians, to come as we finish here. And I want to give you ten things in our next session on how the world is squeezing the church into its mould. Can everybody say amen to the word you've received this morning? Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.